You were born a hunter-gatherer. You were born a social animal, one that moves within the land and moves between bands in a world that was meant to be less measured, less exact. We were meant for lives with more meaning and less consequence, a life where connection and meaning are implicit, where animals have voices and trees have stories, a world where rivers flow unabated and water isn't a health hazard, a world without fences, a world without flags, a world without rulers and gods. It's our world, the world of primal anarchy. We are here to say that either the world burns or the cities do. We're here to say that abusers convince you that you have no choice. We're here to say that marketers convince you that you have their options. We're here to say that you are wild, that you can be free. We're here to say that there's a match in one end and bull cutters in the other. And we aren't here to say that the world is waiting. We are here to say that the world is fighting. We are here to say that their story only ends one way. And we're here to tell you that there are others. Primal Anarchy Podcast is a collection of rants, tirades, condemnations, readings, musings, explorations, response, interviews, and iterations hosted by Primal Anarchist writers Kevin and Natasha Tucker. Find us online at primalanarchy.org, all major podcast platforms, and the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Primal Anarchy Podcast, episode 28. Today is April 18th, 2021. We are your hosts. I am Kevin Tucker. And I am Natasha Tucker. And we want to acknowledge that we are on occupied Lenny Lenape and Susquehannock lands. So it's been a while since we've done an episode. Um, this episode is coming out pretty much the exact same time that episode 27 is, which is an awesome interview with Cleve Benali of Indigenous Action. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're really excited about that and really excited to finally get that episode out. Yeah, it's a really one excellent interview. But it has been an extraordinarily eventful year. And uh, it's just been really hard for a number of reasons to sit down and record a podcast um, and to get much of anything done. Um, mm-hmm. The distro, I haven't really been pushing it either because it was pretty backlogged. Very backlogged. It was very backlogged. It was extraordinarily backlogged. And we are, I was like, are we going to apologize for this? <laughs> Kevin was like, I'm not sure. And I was, but I do want to apologize I now that we're here. I, do I feel very too. bad that we got so behind and there were a number of very unfortunate things that happened it's been a hard year yeah it really has um and i will say that there's been a lot that's going on with me um i do have a gofundme up and um i i guess i can link it somehow i don't know yeah i think you probably can in the in the something nuts and bolts yeah i'll include okay i'll put it in the probably i'll put it in the description on there um I talk a little bit about um, some of the the healing stuff I've been dealing with um, from a lifetime of trauma uh, and a lot of a lot of reckoning, a lot of things that are going on, um, and uh, being dosed, diagnosed, diagnosed at the beginning of the pandemic, like right when the pandemic struck, uh, with dissociative identity disorder. Um, you know, it was kind of a kind of a hard time for everything and a lot of dealing with it and a lot of a lot of going on there uh it's made it really hard to keep up on um especially during that time for the distro and especially the finances for black and green part of the reason we got in such a backlog was that uh all the site fees came through at one time and just like wiped out all the money for shipping orders um and so that's something we hope to 
stay ahead of and everything again. Uh, keep things yeah. moving. It's but not I something mean, that happens realistically, often. I mean, that's not going to happen again, but realistically, I think money is a struggle for a lot of people. So <laughs> we can just be kind of real about that, I think. <laughs> there's, there's a number of things going on in the world. Yeah. Um, but Black Green's debt just continues to build up. Um, so like the, the GoFundMe is to, to help with some of that debt. And also I've just had a, a ton of medical debt. Uh, there's a bunch of things I've got going on. Um, are you going to describe what DID is? Uh, are you, are you talking amongst yourselves? <laughs> um, what are you thinking about talking about it here? I think it'd be good to, to talk some more about it probably somewhere else, but it wouldn't hurt to say, I mean, dissociative identity disorder had been, um, commonly can, described as or called multiple personality disorder. Um, the name doesn't really fit in that regard, but basically what it is is that um, I had severe childhood trauma, um, and the result of it is that uh, it caused my brain to fragment into uh, different pieces and parts and alters, uh, which means that there's all these different pieces of me that are born from trauma or born, born in response to and patterned by trauma in a way that um, there's multiple people you can say that like I'm a plural like there's a a bunch of alters and things like that which is uh they're basically like fully formed people well maybe let's backtrack and say dissociative disorders are it's a spectrum yes and it does it does spread to include uh PTSD uh, a common thing with the PTSD is dissociation right um and people say something like a thousand mile stare um they're, they're meaning when somebody's dissociated. When you're dissociated, you're kind of like, um, I mean, it is what it, it is dissociation. I mean, it's, it's like, like any time. I mean, I think our therapists have both described it as something common that happens almost to everybody to some extent when you are sort of those moments where you're transported back to like a traumatic memory or a thought or an experience mm-hmm. and you sort of have that like visceral memory and you sort of are not seeing you're maybe like you know staring into the distance you're not seeing what what is really in front of you that's dissociation at a really basic level and then there it's a spectrum so you know where kevin sits on the spectrum his personalities or his alters person yeah split into different personalities to protect him different different people yeah alters yeah Parts. So. Yeah, I mean, for for most people who experience me, they wouldn't know. Um, right. I mean, m- nobody really knew. No. Ever. You didn't when know. It, when it works very effectively, you don't know it's there. Uh, I mean, obviously, I do know, and there's a lot of things that were like indicating, um, but I mean, like I wouldn't have had any knowledge of, and I've had to deal with a lot of re- uh, repressed memories coming back, a lot of issues, a lot of depression associated with a lot of that. And at times over the last year, just straight up being um, completely like debilitated uh, by all of it and trying to understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's a big thing. And I mean, like PTSD is something that's just, it is very common. Like we live in a society that this is something we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the ways in which civilization isolates you and the domestication process isolates you. And if there's 8 billion people on the planet, there's 8 billion different ways that the domestication process has hurt people. And the entire process of individuating and removing community, um, I mean, this is something I talk about really extensively in Gathered Remains, uh, particularly the essays 
society without strangers and hooked on a feeling like the reason that we have trauma isn't because bad things happen it's because like in a, a grounded community um you know there's the expectation and understanding of bad things that can happen and there's ways of processing it and there's processing it and there's ways of dealing with it and ways of dealing with coping uh, like coping mechanisms and different kinds of conflict resolution and like um well in, a, in more intact societies you have like a collective processing system yeah where we are so isolated yeah we don't have any expectation about what could happen or or any expectation that it will happen and like we have this the whole process of historicization which makes it so we can say like uh, civilization was you know all these bad things happened we can talk about slavery and all these things like they're past tense and of course they aren't um but we we don't really focus on the fact i mean civilization um kids see the worst of it like all the time we look at uh, molestation scandals with the with organized religion and with all these different institutions. Um, you know the way that children are stolen, uh, particularly from indigenous societies. Uh, we can like really look at stuff, and I think that's something we should be talking about more on here. And I think as a society, we need to be talking about more is like the white savior complex and adoption, um, which I can speak to. I was adopted. Um, but I mean, like, there's much more extreme versions of it, which involve just stealing children from other cultures, which is extremely common and socially rewarded, uh, particularly by liberals. Um, and there's just like all the worst things that you can do in society and civilization are done to kids. And for all the pretenses people have about caring uh, and, and progress and development and all this stuff and the, Things that are supposed to be like you know judge judge civilizations by how they judge or how they treat their children. Well, civilizations are fucking horrible at it. Right. And they they provide a lot of um, safety for abusers and they reward abuse. Um, you know you can really understand the more you understand about abuse, gaslighting, and all these different situations and institutions, you see how a core how much they are the core and like the innate part of how this society functions. Um, that's terrifying. It is. It's it's truly terrifying. And I do want to say that I'm really proud of Kevin for, um, you know, starting to talk about these things and his experience, um, and his experiences and um, the road that he has been on. I mean, obviously throughout his life to get to this point, but the road that he is on. And the path he is on, um, focusing on uh, looking at these parts of his past and and being willing to go to therapy and, and now with the diagnosis and, and just the things that he has been unpacking and working through this past year, I mean, I'm really honored to be um, part of his life and to be next to him as he goes through this and I know a lot of you care about him and follow his work and he has been um, you know he really has been working very hard to um, just show us that there's another pathway all these years that there's a that there is another story that there's another narrative and so I just want to say, like, he really is doing the work. He's he's a real authentic person, and um, I'm really proud of you, Kevin. And I love you. I love you too. Tell me, you're gonna get me all for clumped. 
So thank I you did to not everybody. anticipate that we were going to talk about this. <laughs> thank stuff. you to everybody who's been supporting us this year. I, I think we're both more than willing to answer questions and talk about it, and we're just still learning to navigate DID and um, you know, you know, living with a diagnosis like that. Um, so we're still very much in the learning phases as well, but um, we're here, you know, to talk to or answer questions if anybody else is experiencing anything similar and um, we would love to connect um, on those points. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And obviously it would not be here if it weren't for you. I don't think we were really planning to talk about this on this podcast, but it's a little bit of an elephant in the room for us because it's been such a huge part of our life this year and um, it feels really odd to say you know apologize for all these things and talk about the struggles we've had and not and not really say that you've just been working really really hard to get healthy and well and um that's really what's been going on yeah i guess we'll really can't really talk about any of this stuff without just acknowledging it and again there's some more on the the gofundme and i really appreciate all the support we've gotten on on there and um well thank you for saying that but we have gotten a lot of support. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, we're um, blown away by it. I mean, we it, it really means the world to us. And I mean, I, I have seen too, and I, I don't think it's shocking, a lot of people who have um, severe PTSD the, the on the dissociative spectrum, uh, even people with DID uh, in, in particular, you know, I mean, I do see a good bit of it. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Where, uh, where... It, it does kind of push people towards this kind of thing, like resistance and like understanding. I mean, you can see, I mean, there's a lot of horrible things that happen. And then when you see what people can be capable of, what systems are capable of, um, you know, the, the veneer is gone. You can't really question it. You have to, you have to know what it is you're dealing with. Um, it's something we talked about a number of times when we ended in the coronavirus episode in a number of other places, like the worst thing in survival situations is hope, or is false hope. Um, big difference, but false hope. Um, you got to be honest with where you're at. And I mean, that's something that we've been working towards. It's something that's been a part of the podcast. It's something that's been a part of the core of the work for Natasha and I. It's like, you have to be honest. You have to say where you're at and acknowledge what you're doing. And there's aspects of a lot of the stuff that I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, I really do owe Will Potter a big thank you um, for coming out and talking about some of the struggles he's having with depression, um, things like that. Uh, you do tend to get this thing within radical circles. You're like, well, uh, you kind of have to put up a put up a guard when you do. And I mean, it's part of security culture in a lot of ways. But secrets will kill you. And if you're if you're dealing with this kind of stuff, if you've got a diagnosis, you're going to doctors and things like that. The record's there. It's like no, there's no benefit in me trying to say it's not happening. It's better for me to own it. Yeah, and I mean, certainly everybody can be, you know, make the decision for themselves. Certainly you don't have to talk about anything that you don't want to talk about. But I think for us it feels um, important to be really open, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with our own struggles. and um, Because everybody's going through it. I think we would be hard-pressed to find anybody who doesn't struggle with depression some of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, we we've been talking about these things for years we've been writing about them like we are all struggling 
So unless we can say that to each other and amongst ourselves and support one another and, you know, just be able to say those things and not feel ashamed of them, I mean, that's, I mean, that is something. That's something. That's resistance right there. So ironically, this is like kind of sidetrack here is getting us to what we want to discuss on this episode in general. Right. In Which does have some to do with health. It does have to do with, and with rewilding. all this stuff. Health, bullshitting, rewilding, like all this stuff. Um, you know, so so kind of like to jump in here, one of the big things that we've been seeing is that, um, you know, over the last years, the veneer of white supremacy has gone. Like the insidiousness of liberalism has, I mean, like it's hard to talk about this stuff in a way because I, I know that kind of anytime I say this stuff and I kind of say it from point zero like that, um, there's always going to be some edgy guy or some edgy person or something that's going to come along and be like, oh, well, it was obviously like this. It's like, well, fucking obviously, yeah. <laughs> like, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, this isn't like, oh, wow, white supremacy exists. I didn't know that. Uh, it's not like we're saying like, oh, white supremacy exists. It's that the the veneer of it has just washed away. And when we say the veneer of it has washed away, we don't mean that there was a veneer for a lot of people in the various aspects of, of civilization, the various degrees of oppression that exist within hierarchies, within bureaucracies, within this, the infrastructure of the state. Like, those things are always obvious. And uh, what we mean is, is that the, the, the functioning of white supremacy really relies on these kind of, like, liberal progressive narratives um, of, of saying, like, well, we're not these things anymore. We've changed. We've moved on. As a society, we've erred towards equality, and I mean, I trash Stephen Pinker all the time, but it's never it's never worth it to not pass that up to say mm-hmm. Stephen Pinker saying civilization is erred towards making us less violent as a society. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, no, that's just total fucking bullshit. And the ways that he tries to make those arguments, um, particularly when looking at indigenous societies, and this is something we've dealt with a number of places before and elsewhere, and it's worth pointing that out. Um, and point towards that, uh, specifically like you know, an essay like um, "Society Without Strangers." Uh, the way that, that they tend to prove that is by trying to use information and statistics from indigenous societies about murder rates, and those murder rates were all things that were happening during intense periods of colonialism, colonization, and conquest. Um, some of the numbers that they were pulling, uh, like for the Ache genocide. Uh, the the numbers that were being included as homicides and to get the, the murder rate that he's been using to try and make this argument like uh, civilization is less violent were hunter-gatherers being murdered by loggers mm-hmm. and by troops. I mean, it's just insane. Like, mm-hmm. you, you, it's just a no, but the whole thing is, is like the whole narrative, the whole story um, has always erred in this direction. So all they have to do is kind of throw things at it and then that's that. And it does work. I mean, he's very rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even anarchists in some degree as well will try and use those points to argue with, um, you know, anti-civ stuff or whatever. But, I mean, really what it comes down to is like these different ideals being trumpeted as some kind of cause or, or meriting some kind of freedom. And like even the coding surrounding the way that white nationalists and white supremacists talk now. Uh, and the way these militias talk, they try to just kind of like, you know, pull the same thing the Klan's always done. It's like, I don't hate uh, non-white people. I just love white people. And it's like, 
that explains why you're lynching people. Okay? <laughs> like that's that's not how it works. Obviously, it's bullshit, but it does work. I mean, that kind of narrative really does work, and it's no more. It, I think it's the most insidious amongst liberals. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these right wingers and militias and stuff like that. Obviously, they still lie, but like the liberals are, are the worst about it. And what we saw, even since you know the last podcast went up, like the world blew apart, mm-hmm. um, and and has been in, insanely inspiring in a lot of ways. You know, we're living in a world where af- like we're living post uh, Minneapolis third precinct burning down. Right. Like we've seen some spectacular resistance. Um, you know, I mean, it's always terrifying why these things are happening, but like. It just goes to show there's there's aspects of like the the reality is and it should we should know this but like sometimes you don't know it if you're not being told you're not seeing it um you don't know what other people are going through until you're willing to listen and most of the time we don't listen and the problem with liberals is they're absolutely fucking positive that they're listening and they absolutely positively never are Mm -hmm. so like you get all these um these fucking do-gooders and bullshitters and that whole thing and you could see the insidiousness of it uh, was to try and redirect the insurrections, the uprisings that were taking place for, over the last year, uh, the culmination of you know uh, resistance on the part of black people being murdered by the state and by cops religiously, um, and then like a lot of the issues surrounding land back um, and all these different forms of resistance to the state and to the state's oppression. Um, like you're seeing the white liberals saying like we're listening and in the case of somebody like Robin D'Angelo being a, a huge bestseller for writing um, White Fragility and then mm-hmm. siphoning that money off to be a douchebag white savior liberal um, you know they're, they're taking all the talking points and then their entire goal was to try and say well we're, we're acting on your behalf which is horrific white savior shit mm-hmm. like it's just bullshit um but that stuff remains largely unchecked, even in cases where we're talking about, you know, how bad liberals are, how, how problematic they are. But trying to siphon all that resistance off into the into politics, into voting. Yes, which we see every time there's a vote. Yes. There's a this like beautiful sort of like grassroots from the street momentum, and then the wind goes out of the sails as soon as that vote happens. Yeah, and it's just, and there, I mean, even that delusion. I mean, one of the worst things I've seen um, with this whole aspect is like Trump was so obvious and so bad with all these things that people were just like, you know, like got to the point where like once, once Biden's in office, I can go back to brunch and I can stop reading the newspaper for a while. It's like that fucking thing has changed. It's just really disgusting. Yeah, like we're seeing this shit like right now. Um, you know, Minneapolis. Portland, Philly, uh, I don't even know. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot going on right now, mm-hmm. and people actively resisting, and absolutely nothing that's being done under Biden is is an inch different. Aside from the fact that like um, there's slightly less of the liberals trying to, to push it directly towards electoral politics. But I kind of joked yesterday about like, well, I guess we got like two to six weeks before people start saying it's like, well, what about the midterms? And it's like. I joked about that, and then, like, within an hour, I saw, like, 20 people being like, well, we got to vote. I was like, 
Because my do question we... is, do white liberals really think Biden is better? Or is it just, like, I, my question at this point is, like, do they believe what they're saying? So, I mean, the core of it is, and I'll say this all the time, and it's kind of interesting to talk about this in relationship to even talking about DID. Like, basically what ends up happening is with because of the way that my brain fragments, because of the way there's, like, all these different people and there are, like, different alters and stuff like that, is that, like, I can identify some patterns like fairly easily and I've said before and I say it often if you're being defensive like you're not listening and for me it can be pretty extreme because it's like well that's like a person right. a person's kind of an asshole right way. so like they're in, very mad at me for so saying Kev, that Kevin's saying like in his experience with DID he has an alter which is like its own person that is specifically very defensive about things so once that personality comes out like you can not get Kevin to listen to and any of you fuckers like well, that's who I'm arguing with or something like that it's like you're not it's not for that I, I do I do think it's funny because I wonder how many people are going to say like oh I've had those interactions with him it's not what you think <laughs> it's not usually how it goes um, and um, like, I do front like who who I am is who we all agree is presented to the world and I don't speak in plurals. I know that it might be confusing. From time to time, if it's absolutely relevant, I will say we when I'm referring to the collective of me. Um, which, by the way, this is also a huge thing about why I just can't stand egoists. Like, I'm, I'm not even one person. <laughs> it's not even how it works. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, I, I've just noticed these patterns and, like, um, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people have. It's clinical. It's not like it's fucking mystery but like um you mean with liberals or with your own system no with literally everybody if you're being uh-huh. defensive you're not going to be listening and the problem is is that like a lot of these people a lot of liberals i mean it's, it's it, you the the nature of white supremacy the nature of white privileges if you if you appear white even if you're like white coated like you're going to have a different experience of a white supremacist society necessarily than anybody else and there's different kinds of exposure you can have and things like that and people are like oh, i read a book or i read this or i did this or i did that i went to this fucking seminar or some shit like that doesn't matter mm-hmm. like you need to listen like you absolutely have to listen to other people when they talk about their experiences and also understand that those experiences are different it's like you you can see this literally on the streets mm-hmm. like the way that liberals react to um to riots and shaming and all these different these patterns that they have, um, you know, they can truly believe in the way that these things are discussed are like, okay, well, it was wrong that a 13-year-old child was murdered by a cop. Well, we hear you. You don't have to loot everything, and we're going to have that discussion now. So, okay, let's go on. Um, like, a white liberal necessarily is never going to have the understanding or experience of, like, there's nothing to discuss. This isn't, like, new information for everybody else who's living these experiences. You don't get to turn it on and off. You don't get to go to brunch and pretend it's not happening. And again, you know, people love to point out, it's like, well, these things happen to white people too. It's like, yeah, they do. But, like, white privilege is about every benefit of the doubt imaginable. I also think, I have noticed one thing that is um, sort of, like, disturbing to me right now is this idea of, I guess we can continue using the term white liberal, but it's like sort of just maybe white people in general are saying a lot of the statement like, well, we need to we need to make space for other, you know, other groups of people. Right. We we as white people need to make space for this. 
Yeah. But that is like making all the hair on the back of my neck stand up because it's like really not fucking up to us anymore. It's not. Up, it was never up to us. It's not like us to be like here, pull up a chair to the to the fucking table. Like it's like it's that's done. It's not <laughs> ours to give. It was never ours to give. We stole like the white culture stole what they have. White they murdered. <laughs> yeah, air, yes, white culture air quotes. What what so, like what are we calling it? Whiteness. Okay, I mean, like whiteness. Whiteness. Yeah. Is that what we want to call it? I, I, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, colonization. I mean, it's part of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that was stolen to begin with. So, like, this whole idea of, like, well, we need to, like, make space at the table. Like, fuck your table. That table's done flipped over. It's yeah. it's finished. It's on fire. It's not It's not up to whiteness anymore. It's That's over. Like, we. it's not. That's totally, like, still the wrong perspective. Yes. I mean, that, this, so this is what we're talking about, like, white savior complex. Like, people being, you know, like, I need to grant that space. Like, it's, well, we got to give voice to those voices. And, I mean, it really draws out. I mean, this is, this is an important part of the whole listening process. This is an important part of all this stuff. That's why I say being defensive, you're never going to hear things. If you operate from the point of defensiveness, and I see this all the fucking time, even in any civ shit, even in anarchist stuff, even in, like, straight up, like, we're in the streets rioting. I mean, like... Uh, people who were defending some of the stuff that was going on last year, like uh, Chaz, the Chapel Autonomous Zone, which is like, problems and everything. But like, um, I think as soon as I didn't go land back, it went the way it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but like people who were defending like all this stuff that could be leading towards that conversation about land back, that conversation about giving up the the reins that whiteness has on this this culture has on these areas has on all these things that it's taken its own on its own mm-hmm. that we're propagating in radical circles um like you, you just have to flip it you have to be able to say at a certain point like it's not about me it's not about like well don't invalidate the things i've had because the validation of white experience is the invalidation of non-white experience mm-hmm. that's the nature of whiteness i mean whiteness is not a culture whiteness is de- I mean, even when we talk about Europe, Europe is the sum of all its parts. Europe is just like different colonizers colonizing different areas. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still indigenous people in Europe. But like the Europe that we talk about, the only thing that unified all these different aspects of these empires and regimes was the fact that they were going to colonize the world and conquer and decimate it. Like civilization at all costs. And that's the core, that colonialism is the core of how civilization operates and how imperialism operates. It's just how the day-to-day processing of it is, all of these horrific things. And if you're sitting here being like, well, am I being invalidated or something like that? It's like, all right, you're not fucking listening. Like the point of this isn't like, well, we're sitting here and somebody's gonna try and uh, necessarily punish you for every single thing that's ever happened. It's like a learning curve. You don't know things until you know. Mm-hmm. That's just how conversation works. That's how but interactions then once work. you know it, Yes. Once you know it, then it's your job to do something. Yeah. But also, like, there's a huge thing. And, I mean, this is something we talked about with Dina. This is something we talked about Mm -hmm. with Clee. There's a lot of conversations that have been had. It's like, you know, also (laughs) the tendency people will have, you know, and we're both white. I mean, like, we're not, Mm -hmm. that's not not even, like, a thing we're trying to push off or some shit like that's the thing we're doing i mean that's like where that's like the work that's where we are it's like how do we like the thing you can't do then is be like well i need i need somebody who's not white to tell me how i should react or to tell me what i should do 
is like shut up and listen like this is like this is like a classic like find a warrior kind of thing it's like mm-hmm. we talk you listen like you need to listen follow that lead take that understanding you can be wrong it doesn't make you a bad person to be wrong you can definitely be wrong and like we the, are it's been it, whiteness has been wrong it's wrong it's 100 percent wrong it was founded in the propagation of wrongness it was founded in murder and genocide and the worst atrocities yeah it's like the worst thing there it is yeah like whiteness just took over civilization it's like talk about capitalism it's like you know capitalism is one form of civilization it's like okay well whiteness was like an underpinning aspect that pushed the development of the civilization like you know they're not necessarily the same but whiteness is most definitely civilization at this point and has been for hundreds of years at least um but like it's just one of those things where it's like no you just have to like change your relationship you have to recognize what's going on and like start to actually listen to what people are saying and like um indigenous action has a really great pamphlet called accomplices not allies and um you know i mean i had this argument with somebody last week and they were saying they're like uh in you know an indigenous anarchist was saying something about I'm, i don't care about fighting between white anti-fascists because there's some white anti-fascists that are going for huge platforms and they're horribly problematic people. Anytime you put somebody on a platform, they're going to hang you from it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all there is to it. There's there's always going to be issues like that. And it's like expressing those kind of frustrations and the frustrations of white people. It's like, all right, yeah. I mean, like, it's not a thing to be defensive of. And if you're defending it, you have to know, oh, shit, I'm, I'm actually defending whiteness right now. That's a problem. And it's like, yeah. are you talking to this person? And um, they're like, well, you should listen to white, white anti-fascists because we're fighting for you. It's like, mm, no. Mm. It's like you just like take a look at this stuff. It's like, about it's the same as being like, let's make space at the table. Yeah, like, the table's a pile of ashes. <laughs> yeah, but this is like endemic stuff. I mean, so much of radicalism is based on the stuff like be a voice for the voiceless. It's like that's the that's the thing. That's the yeah. gross thing. It's disgusting. Yeah, no, it's not about being a voice for the voiceless. It's like. Like, erase that entire thing yeah. and then just be like, all these other people just, <laughs> just, just, just do what you're going to do. Like, it has nothing to do with us, really. Yeah, you got to see the control. I mean, the nature of civilization is control. What this book comes down to is, like, see that conversation. It's like, people are like, well, we want to have a discussion about where does anarchism and land back fit. It's like, seed, it's about seeding the control. Right. If you're seeding the ground for the American empire, you're doing massive work. Right. Like, that's your role. Your role is not to be like, I'm going to like, hey, everybody, listen to me tell you to listen to this person. It's not your job to articulate or re-articulate other people's arguments and perspectives on their behalf. Like, the representation matters. The way things are discussed, it absolutely matters. And like, that should be... Like, we shouldn't have to have this conversation, but we do have to have this conversation because whiteness is a hell of a drug. I think the other hard thing is that then there's this, the conversation of, like, well, it's uncomfortable. But, like, even at this point now, it's like, well, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, it's not time to keep saying that at this point. Like, <laughs> it, like have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you were just, like, super wrong and you hurt them and then you had to say to them... I'm really sorry that I hurt you. Like, I really hurt you. And I, I'm i going to honor your experience now. 
and I'm not going to talk about myself and like how I feel uncomfortable because I hurt you because it's not really like the place for that. That's exactly this. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's exactly this. Just yes. I know everybody is feeling feelings of discomfort and that, you know, it can feel to some people like the um, the structure and the landscape is changing, but it needs to change. And it actually, it was always different than what whiteness told us it was. It's like, okay, see how you're like, this conversation should be over and I want to go back to normal. That's it. That's the problem. Right. You can do that. The rest of the world doesn't. Nobody else has ever gotten that opportunity. No. Yeah. And, like, there's a, there's a whole lot behind all that. And, I mean, like, I've had some of this conversation on the podcast before and um, in different ways. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's just something we need to have all the time. But, like, this is something, like, you know, I'm not, of course, we're not exempt from these things. We have to, like, confront things and move thing, move on all the time. There's conversations I've had about moving from anarcho-primitivism as a term. Moving from like different contexts and things like that, and we're reevaluating that, and that's actually where we're going with this conversation. Um, talking about rewilding, talking about herbalism, talking about these like different intersects, um, like all the places where this isn't happening. So, like one of the things that I want to talk about too is like these are these are conversations I was having. Well, I guess I can say now I was internally with my my collective to really understand and articulate. Uh, when I wrote the Call of Personality, there's a lot of questions about representation in there. Um, you know, I want you ask a lot of questions about representation in there, or people have had questions about that. No, my internal system. Your internal system has had questions about it. We had extensive conversations about like this was something that was very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't just be like I thought about it because it was like I, I know now that it was conversations um, about the nature of representation. I wanted to. Focus on. I mean, what I wanted to do when I, when I heard her about Olivia Arvalo um, was to to do a very different kind of focus. I mean, my ideas were uh, I want to talk to predominantly like indigenous women who are involved in like um, the revitalization movements of um, herbalism. We're calling herbalism for lack of a better word here. Mm-hmm. With these the cultural knowledge, traditional ecological knowledge uh, experiences and practices, and like how how that story looks from like the perspective of predominantly like native women this is missing mm-hmm. murdered indigenous women two-spirit can you just do a small little summary about what cole is about yeah so cole focuses on um uh a little in uh 2018 this is hard to keep track of time uh uh Conobo, uh plant healer named olivia arvalo which is like 82 or 81 was killed by um a white canadian guy who was seeking her out for ayahuasca knowledge. Um, and it was classical white savior. I mean, like I, I say, and, I, and it's kind of what I'm getting at here, with some of the stuff is like, there was a lot more I had in common with, with him, his name was Woodruff, um, than I did with Olivia. And like understanding the perspectives, and I started to talk to, I was like, I wanted to understand the history of like that situation. Like the intersect we have, the book opens with, uh, the murder of Olivia Arvalo and the subsequent murder of Woodruff, who's this white Canadian guy, and the fact that it blew up on the world spectrum because, like, not because an indigenous healer, a, a huge person in this community, had been murdered, but because a white guy got murdered. And, um, you know, it was just like a, a, a major thing. And this thing, I mean, these things happen all the time. It's like sad, it's disgusting. This is the nature of colonialism um, and extractivism. 
this happens a lot. And uh, I want to understand about ayahuasca, about ecotourism, those industries, and the nature about the way that this guy had spoke as a white savior to say, things that I think that most people in the anti-civilization or in the radical world could relate to. He's saying that he had seen addiction destroy lives of people in his family. And um, he heard ayahuasca had better rates for success in treatment programs than just about anything else. I mean, it's like negligible in ways, like 10% or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but his ideas were I was going to go down to um, South America. I was going to Amazon. I'm going to take this ancient knowledge and tradition. Um, he's, he's following in the footsteps of all these horrific white liberals and hippies. Um, Food of the gods, that kind of stuff. Uh, Terrence McKenna. And Terrence McKenna's wife had actually said, just like, its plants had spoken to her and ayahuasca had spoken to her and it wanted to be liberated from an indigenous context and brought to the world at large. Oh, like, wow. I mean, like, <laughs> you can see the stuff I mentioned in the book was like, you can kind of see it's like these little things are like pinning everywhere. All these different variations of the same white saber complex. Um, and, you know, the voice for the voiceless ayahuasca. This, I mean, it's disgusting stuff. I mean, this is straight up colonialism. It's a wonder people can say those things out loud and not just be like, what am I talking about? But they're celebrated. Mm-hmm. And they're still going on. I mean, we're having the same thing all the time. Like, white sage. Like, literally everything that comes up. Like, white people got a stamp on it and, like, try and own it over indigenous people. Um, which is where we're going. But, um, you know, what I ended up doing is, like, looking into this... Uh, and looking at the situation and understanding, like, the history of ayahuasca is really, you know, this colonialism process. Mm-hmm. And I say often, I'll talk to people about the book, and they're like, well, I'm not really ever going to do ayahuasca, so it's not interesting. It's like, ayahuasca is a sub, is like a part of this book. Mm-hmm. The story relates to every single aspect of pretty much anything that ever goes on. In fact, the bigger part of the story in many ways is rubber. And nobody who's hearing this, nobody's hearing an amplified voice across the world is going to say River hasn't intrinsically changed their lives and civilization and the world around it. So I have two questions about this. One, out of all the stories that you read and hear about that are like unfortunately like this, what made you want to make a whole book about this one? And then two, you touched on that Woodruff was his name, right? Mm-hmm. You touched on that you had like truly if you look at it on paper more in common with Woodruff than um with Arvalo Arvalo um sorry I'm terrible at pronouncing things (laughs) (laughs) just to the audience I can really butcher a name (laughs) um and so uh how was that experience for you writing this um I would just love to hear more about those two things because I don't think I've ever asked you not on the podcast in general I don't know Uh, I mean it was torture I mean writing this book was very hard Um, it's very very painful stuff and so I mean originally the idea I had was um, to have something for the journal Um, at the time I think it was Black Mirror interviews still before Wild Resistance Um, and trying to get all these different interviews and trying to get more perspective on it and so what ended up happening is I'm having these conversations and um, I had a, a number of people tell me it was like you know we don't get to take your position like we, we can't afford to be angry in the ways that you are like this is a different story and we're not able to tell it's not safe for us to come out and say the things like we the, would indig- like to say. the indigenous yeah. community you're talking to the, the, it was like you know like 
four to six women, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, like, the same story. And, I mean, from different parts of the world, even. Like, this is a very common thing that I was hearing. I was like, well, shit. Like, all right. I know it's not my place to tell this story. And mm-hmm. from, from the perspective of Aryabala. From the perspective of the Konoba and Shippo. So, like, what, what it came down to, and this is a very intentional thing, was, like, all right, I can't write from the perspective of Aryabala. My, my goal here is not to be, like, I'm going to be her voice. I would love to hear her story. She's been murdered. Mm-hmm. There's other people whose stories they're going to have a lot to say about this, and I wanted to hear those people. That's, that's not my place. I mean, like, I, I want to try and, you know, if I can help get them out there or whatever, we could do that. And yeah. But what I can do is I can say the story from the perspective of the colonizer. Mm-hmm. I can say the story from the perspective of the extractivist. I mean, like, Woodrow had done GoFundMe campaigns and stuff like that to get the money to go down and do all this stuff. He was selling wild mushrooms. He was taking people on wild mushroom hunts and stuff like that. I mean, that's, like, one of my favorite things ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, go mushroom hunting. He's doing, like, organic chocolate, organic fair trade chocolates as perks and stuff like that. I mean, he was very much speaking as, like, sadly, and it's, it sucks to admit this, especially in this context, like, sadly peddling around a lot of the same kind of immunities that are peripheral to, you know, what we even say as, like, anti-civilization or anti-colonialism in some ways, and I mean, endemic as well of like the ways in which those those different perspectives can still have this very insidious extractivist nature. Um, and so I said, all right, well, I'm gonna write it from the perspective of owning the fact that I'm coming from settler colonial culture. I'm mm-hmm. gonna own it from the perspective that I'm more in fact, more in common with this guy. I can tell that story. I can tell, and I mean, the nature of the writing that I do um, and this is particularly going to be, you know, like Cole in some ways is like a microcosm of some of the work that's going through in uh, Gospel of Empire, like mm-hmm. a lot of the anti-missionary stuff. Like my perspective is not to try and be like, I'm going to tell native stories. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not indigenous. I'm not. Like I'm not going to have that perspective. Um, I can speak to something I spoke about intergenerational trauma. I can speak to about uh, surviving and PTSD and things like that. Mm-hmm. But like there's, there's very clear lines. Here. I don't need to. You kind of just know your lane and stay it. Um, but it's more important for me, and I understand that my audience is predominantly going to be um, people who are a lot like me. And um, that changes the kind of discussion it's going to be. And there's, there's a couple aspects about it. One thing I have to say from the start is like, you can't trade in glory. I mean, that's like part of the responsibility you take on if you want to tell that story. Like, you can't use bloodshed of other people as like your way to shock and awe. And you can't train in glory, you said? No. And I mean, there's stuff like, like one of the problems I always have with Derek Jensen is like, that's what he did. I mean, that's part of his formula. He's like, Derek Jensen was the ultimate in the voyeur. He was like trying to grab tourists. He's like, let me take you by the hand and I'm going to tell you about this thing I stumbled upon and I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to be the one who tells you. You're going to emote through me as the author. And I'm going to tell you about how you feel about all these things. And we're going to get into the details of all the scariness. And then I'm going to bring up background and I will help you. Yes, and you spotted that a long time ago before anyone else did. Because that guy is spewing hate these days. Yeah. And you warned everybody quite a while ago. It does It does actually merit being said. I mean, I know there's people who are like, well, you know, he means well. He's in the same camp. He's against civilization. Like, the we, we just disagree on the turf stuff. It's like, no, we fucking no, don't. No, no, we don't. Like... <laughs> Derek and Lier and Deep Green Resistance, I mean, like, if you got any ties to that stuff, you got to sever it. They're like scary. right-wing shock jock, like, just spewing insane things about um, 
trans in sports. It's really disturbing. And like actively taking part in identifying and doxing trans people to for 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 violence. Yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. Yeah, we're we've been horrified. So don't do that. No. <laughs> so like we know like don't do that. Or like still you have to tell the story, you have to relate it. And you have to like drag people back into the consequences of our lives. The nature of civilization is this removal. Is this way of like keeping you moving and keeping you from understanding and seeing the consequences of your actions. So you don't see the systems that benefit you. Mm-hmm. You don't see the benefits. You get the idea that the experience you have is universal in some ways and that all these things are just different aspects of it. And I mean, a core part of whiteness is entitlement. Mm-hmm. And how Woodruff reacted was, was pure entitlement. And the direct line from Woodruff to the colonization of Peru, which is where the book really starts out, and talking about Pizarro, who had colonized Peru and conquered Peru, um, was this core sense of entitlement. And everybody says, and if you look back at it, you look at the way white saviors talk, you look at the way the colonizers talk, the way that anybody talks, they meant the best. They're doing it for you. And that kind of insidious nature like really struck me. And this is one of the things I talk about at the beginning of the book, is talking about Bartolome de las Casas. You know, again, another white savior who's a missionary. Um, but the reason we know about the extent of a lot of what these colonizers are doing was because of Las Casas' accounts. Mm-hmm. He had been with Columbus. He had been with Pizarro. Mm-hmm. And Pizarro stuck out to him um, because he said that, like, what Pizarro did that a lot of the other colonizers hadn't done quite as much was that he would directly murder just about everybody in the village. And at the end of the process, he'd come back to the exact same people and he's like, hey, like, it never happened. Like, I see the condition you're in, I'm here for you. And then he'd just bring them in as slaves. Yeah. I mean, he was an enslaver. Like, he not only enslaved indigenous people, he had permits. He was bringing in slaves from Africa, um, people through Dominican Republic and everything like that. Like, I mean, he's just fucking horrible. But, like, you could see the way that the wording was happening in Las Casas was, like, the thing that drove me, that drew him most towards being Pizarro being one of the most evil of all of them, which is ridiculous to try and gauge. Mm-hmm. Um was the fact that he was doing this. And it's like, well, that's the core trait of whiteness. That's the core trait of all these things. And so it's like, we have to address that. Like, and we have to address the fact that, you know, what I'm saying in here is that, and obviously it's very anti-colonial. Obviously it's very anti-extractionist. It's horrifically anti-civilization. Um, but I'm drawing on the thing closest to, in a sense, in a gross sense, our realm to say it's like, look, in this case here, it is no different than what's happening over there. Your intents don't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, they don't matter because your intents are flawed through and through. Every single aspect of it's built in this entitlement. It's built in all these different horrific things. Um, you're not seeing the world around you the way that it is. And it's changing your relationship to it. And all these people can kind of be like, you know, I mean, this conversation I had and all the different conversations I had, discussions I had, uh, when Cole came out, particularly with like the hallucinogenic crowd and all that stuff, um, where people being like, all right, well, so I guess there's some problems with ayahuasca, but still, you know, he gives indigenous people jobs and all this stuff. It's like, you know, a lot of that's bullshit, straight up mm-hmm. bullshit. But um, outside of that, it's like, you know, I, one of the core things I talk about in the book is that uh, the union of healers, the Konobo, Setobo, Exibo, um, 
had said in retaliation or in response to Arivala being killed, they're like, stop calling us shamans. Mm. Just stop. Just stop talking about ayahuasca. Stop saying all these things. We're plant healers. Like, you're putting an entire theory, an entire praxis, an entire understanding of the world on us that does not apply. Mm -hmm. We are not here for you. Stop doing these ayahuasca tour stuff. Stop Mm -hmm. talking about it. Stop being about it. It has nothing to do with you. It is not yours. You cannot have it. And, I mean, that's like, I don't have to say, and I mean, I have people say, it's like, if you're telling people not to do it, I'm like, I'm not saying this. I'm a place to be like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, right, but job. the problem with entitlement is that it makes you furious, not only furious when somebody tells you you can't do something, you just don't care. And that's what happens. People try to find ways around it. They try to go back to McKenna's statement. Like, this, mm-hmm. like, well, the ayahuasca spoke to me and it wants to be liberated from, like, you know, this backwards area or whatever. It's like, well, that's racist as shit. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a thing. This is endemic. This is endemic to all these aspects of of the world that have been around us. And I mean, um, kind of jumping off on this to talk about this other stuff that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like Stephen Herod Buner um, just had a rant that's going around. And uh, what we're seeing with it is... A, he's, an herb- he's an herbalist. He's an herbalist. He's like... Buner's Lyme Protocol is the foundation for most apothecaries in the U.S. At least. Well, it has gotten very popular in recent years. People are making a lot of money off of it. Some people are making a lot of money off of it and selling the protocol. But the, I think the the worst thing is that he, he has sort of been upheld as this like very knowledgeable clinical herbalist which like is sort of a bit of a made-up term anyway but this like clinical herbalist who is the foremost expert in treating Lyme's disease which is a big deal especially in certain areas like here in Pennsylvania we have super high numbers of Lyme's um lots of people come down with it and then you know there are like just a myriad of health issues that you can wind up with from that disease so i mean there's a real hunger for the information of how to treat it in a more like holistic method than just straight modern pharmaceuticals but he has really kind of risen as this voice in that field yeah and i mean i'm one of those people i mean i was absolutely riddled with limes um and i mean i was pretty much following his protocol and i can say um yeah, there's issues there too, to yeah. say the least. Um, and uh, but I mean, obviously, a lot of the stuff is like horribly appropriated knowledge. But um, the reason we're talking about him is that it's very recently come to our attention that he is very racist. Extraordinarily, he will tell you he's one of those guys. Like I always say, it's like the guy who says he's gonna give you the shirt off his back isn't gonna give it to you unless there's every string attached. Like the person, if you have to say it, it's not true. Right. The person who says I'm the least racist person. Right. Probably the most racist person. So you can read. I mean, he has. He's been putting out these blog posts, and he has a bunch of information that he's putting out on his social media. And there are a lot of people, you know, from the sort of like natural health world and and herbalism who are really speaking out against him and saying like, "Wow, we had we really had no idea that this is the person behind this information that's been coming out." Um, but there are a whole lot of people who are siding with him and saying, well, you know. <laughs> well, the white liberals are. Right, right. Back, so, I mean, the article, going back to the white liberals. Yeah, the article in question is the against the woke mob. 
Right. Do you think you can sum it up? I mean, probably together we can. Yeah. <laughs> Does it need to be summed up? I mean, basically, I mean, like the core. So things... he, he get he apparently got super angry. There's the uh, the women's herbal conference. I forget which of those the I forget what they call the East Coast Women's Herbal Conference or something. North or. Northeast, Northeast Women's Herbal Conference, which is which has in past years been and for a long time been a really a really lovely conference. I have been there previously years ago. Um, Rosemary Gladstar is one of the big herbalists who she was the lead for a long time and put that together. But she worked with a ton of other herbalists over the years, and um, it was really it was a really just great gathering with tons of information, a lot of very cool herbalists over the years. But you know. As we all have learned more, especially uh, those of us who are like part of the whiteness of uh, the world, as we've learned more, we've realized that, you know, maybe those circles were not as inclusive as they should have been. And so in recent years, Rosemary Gladstone made moves to step away from the conference and other people stepped up. Um, And then apparently Buner has found so much fault with this woke mob, as he's calling it, which is, like, the most awful racist prejudice term. Um, and so now he's just he's going, going off He's going it. off the deep end. Yeah. I mean, like, so, I mean, really, again, like, one of those things, like, not even just, like, learning more about understanding, like, all right, like, these traditions go way back. And, like, there's so much to be said about it. There's so much he's saying that it's just wrong. I, uh-huh. I think the thing we found most disturbing is that he is trying to make a case for the fact that he and Rosemary Gladstar and this sort of like group of um, mostly white herbalists, um, I'd say in the 60s and 70s, he's claiming that they were the only people in the whole world that cared about herbalism and that they had to sort of like go against um, everything in society. mainstream society and that they found themselves in all types of legal trouble, which I mean, okay, yes, there, there's been lots of struggles in herbalism, in the world of herbalism with those types of things. But to say that they are the only people in the whole world. And even in, and he said, <laughs> Rosemary was like, they're the only ones in America. They're like not, and he's like bold faced. Nobody else in America in the 60s and 70s was doing this. Right, that's the point that he's really hitting home, which obviously is a bald-faced lie and completely <laughs> disregards any indigenous culture who has been, you know, using plant medicine since the beginning of time. Yeah, but I mean, we know, I mean, like, like this, all these cultures, like, I mean, like, whiteness, again, is the absence of culture. Like, everything we're doing is, like, picking and scrapping of, like, trying to take things from people that are in places that have been absorbed by the plague of whiteness. Like, every other culture that has some degree of being intact or is intact still has this knowledge and these traditions. Like, this is not fringe stuff right. for most of the world. So, I mean, like, this isn't just, like, a lie. This is, like, this is violence. I mean, this is straight up just decimation. And he was sitting there, he's, he's talking in this piece about... Um, he's like, well, we were all arrested for trying to do this stuff. It's like, why do you think those laws were on the books? All those laws were on the books because the practice of indigenous cultures has been a target of colonizer, colonial, settler colonial repression forever. Like, they're like, okay, we got arrested. It's like, all right, cool. People got murdered. Again, the, genocide. The practice of genocide. And then when genocide is not fully effective, then it's ecocide. I'm sorry, ethnocide. 
and like targeting of traditional knowledge. Yes, ecocide as well. Ecocide as well. I mean, they do go hand in hand, no mm-hmm. question. Um, like, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is on the books. You, I mean, hunting and gathering is illegal because subsistence is illegal. I mean, like, indigenous people practicing their culture or existing on their own, people trying to live outside of the span of the law and the law of the land that's been imposed and all this stuff. That's why it exists. Mm-hmm. To be able to, at that point, be like, well, we were arrested for it. It's like, okay, answers in the question. Mm-hmm. But, like, the way he's going about all this stuff, I mean, he's, like, horrifically racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, looking through it, it's like he's had, in retaliation, to monuments being torn down. I mean, there was stuff about the Founding Fathers. He's trying to make an argument that the Founding Fathers were anti or were against slavery and they're abolitionists, even the ones who had slaves. It's, like, the ultimate in, like, I'm speaking for the people. It's yeah. like, you're lying, but you're just dead wrong. And all this stuff is just crazy. But, yeah. Yeah, it's just really disgusting. And, but now I feel like you and I have become just very sort of disgruntled about a lot of the people that we have been sort of like, let's say, listening to or learning from or studying their work over mm-hmm. these years where we've been sort of on this... Um, you know, on this trail of rewilding, as we have called it and have been calling it in the past, um, is that a lot of those people might just be sort of bullshit and also racist. And so um, I think we're needing to examine those. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, this is part of the problem we've been talking about for a while now, um, mm-hmm. you know, about, like, the issues of rewilding, like, mm-hmm. the issues of all these different things. And, I mean, it's kind of like... The core of talking about primal anarchy, and then again, all these phrases, all these things, you know, there's there's aspects of them in conventions, there's aspects of which any term we come with is going to be horribly problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right, which we so, have said on here before. It's like, well, we have to. You con- can look at every word and say that the, it has negative connotations in a way, although some have worse connotations than others. Obviously, yeah. But I mean, like, we're constantly, like, it's worth reassessing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we should always be in that phrase of being able to reassess. And, like, you know, obviously we're seeing the difference here. We're seeing that when some people are being, I mean, like, all these people are saying, like, I'm tired of going to these conferences and being called a conage by somebody who's, like, non-binary and not white and blah, 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 and all this stuff. It's like, eh. Which is what Buner's saying, basically. He's, he does yeah. say that, yeah. I mean, like, it's like, what well, you, you definitely are. I mean, like, right. if it has to be said, I mean, yeah, you're definitely, I mean, but also, like, we're settler colonizers. Like, we're part of the system. Like, it doesn't make any sense to be like, well, I've done the work and I'm over it. It's like, no. That's yeah, not how it works. But you if you understand really, the system. Like, argue with that you're part of it either. Like, if you're part of it, like, you just have to say, like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm sorry. Hey, it's kind of like the system is the problem and we need to get rid of that. Yeah. Like, you're not going to cure yourself of whiteness when white supremacy exists. No. That's a stupid, weird thing to do. Yeah. But, like, we do have that problem. And again, talking about this individualization, um, in within civilization with the domestication process i mean like kind of like what ends up happening is like the whole core of all these different elements that we've been talking about this is what it's getting at here is like we're talking about primary is like you kind of need to have a thing that doesn't say these are the different elements of resistance mm-hmm. like indigenous resistance is not separate from rewilding it's not separate from um being anti-civilization any technology and talking about infrastructure and fighting um you know military political police structures and stuff like that like mm-hmm. we can't keep distinguishing i mean for a long time um i feel like the anti-civ world had allowed that to happen 
and it allowed by having names on different aspects of it uh, had really allowed those things to swell in ways that we kept pointing to rewilding, kept talking about rewilding, and it looks fucking nothing like what we talked about. And it incorporated all these aspects of just like this, this supposed individual liberation, and it, it brings in some really toxic people. And like, these are those toxic people. And there's certain degrees where it's like, okay, like when we started getting into rewilding in the early 2000s and stuff like that, like there wasn't the information base that we have now. Um, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the world definitely was a very different place at that point. Yeah, I mean, like we were learning skills out of or like military survival manuals and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I got books out of the library, and that's where I learned that information. You know, it was it was very different. We didn't have as much. We didn't have nearly as much conversation. We didn't know as much. Yeah, and those parts were much more distinct. Mm-hmm. Which is again one of those things you could just say it's like, all right, yeah, we recognize that the conversation white herbalists were having was separate from the conversations literally every other culture is herbalist. Right. particularly indigenous cultures herbalists were, were having you could just be like oh damn yeah alright well how do we move forward instead white people get to be like why don't we go back to brunch so stop talking to me about this right. right but like there are tendencies there that are just like alright we really need to reassess this because not only like it's it's like once these things start becoming obvious and you see like the whole thing's unraveling like there's a lot of different elements of people on peripheral aspects or things that we had been at times or I had at times attached to some of these ideas. Um, you know, they're really problematic. I mean, like, I talked to about Nora Degatis on mm-hmm. this before. I talked about I mean, she was interviewed in um, uh, the journal. Mm-hmm. And, like... And she wrote, again... Not <clears throat> Primal Body, Primal Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's problems. Like, you know, it should have been like we when we had a note in there about her saying um, fire was 70,000 years old for humans, and we're like, well, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the stuff has to do with fat. And it's like, well, you know, maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about all that shit. Maybe it was a mistake. Also, it was a mistake to be like, uh, I mean, it's one thing that's, again, it's important to talk about systems. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to prescribe individual change to think that you're going to be able to address those systems or go around it. Most likely, it's going to happen. Is it happens every time? Is it happens the same thing happened in rewilding? The same thing happened all this other stuff. It splits off and it becomes its own thing, and then it becomes a niche market. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a niche market. Then you get all these different elements of identity, um, and it just gets sickening. And then like all this stuff. So I mean, like even rewilding, you got all these TV shows. And what was the one we were watching the other day? It was just ridiculous. Not the other day. It was like quite a while ago. The PSE one. Oh, um, Naked and Afraid. Was that what it was? Whatever, it's one of them. Or alone, or whatever. I don't know. They're all they're all the same. But, like, one of these ones was, like, we're taking people and we're sticking them in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, one, it's survival is nonsense. Like, this has nothing to do with rewilding and all these rewilding people are doing it. And it's like, you know, we know a thing, like, in the rewilding world, like, every other person we know is, like, a TV show or something. Right. Um, like, there's so much of the spirit of this stuff that got removed and just kept getting pumped back through this, this sensational and survival is nonsense. And it's just like, all right, well, nobody ever in the history of the world got isolated and dropped off in an area in the woods by themselves and been like, you have nothing and you have to start over. It's like, all right, even if you have the best skill set in the world, you don't necessarily start over that and you have the community. Right. But, like, it's also not going to be a place that's unfamiliar. Um, but, like, in this stuff that we're watching, you know, they create all this tension and stuff like that. 
and they were actually judging people. Like, there's like, I forget what the, this point scoring thing was, like PSC. Mm-hmm. They're like, this person lost 15 pounds and they barely survived. And PSC <laughs> went up five points. <laughs> like, like, ah, uh, all right. So we got like a bunch of like, like the way that we talk I mean, about. I was starving and camping. Yes. <laughs> and maybe naked, depending on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like utterly ridiculous stuff, but it's like, Oh, damn. All right. So we got a bunch of, like, stuff that we work in and there's, like, ideas of rewilding or ideas of resistance, ideas of training. It's like, ah, that's all fat shaming and, like, ridiculous shit. And, like, if somebody's out there losing weight in the woods, then there's probably a problem with what's going on. I guess the problem is that the it seems, it feels like the whole idea of rewilding or, like, trying to get back to this primal way of being, which... I don't know that we even really know what that means because that word has gotten really sort of bent out of shape, but it just sort of became this sort of like prescriptive thing, right? Like you would buy the barefoot shoes and you would start to not eat carbs and you would try to go running a lot. And that, you know, it was a very, it's, it has, it has become or had become or has become this very, um, tired sort of product oriented um appearance oriented shit yeah so i think now that we're sort of noticing this and that more of these people are kind of like saying some off note things and you start to go hmm i wonder if this person is really what i thought they were and oftentimes they're not is where do you go from here? I mean, it comes back to what we've been talking about. I mean, like, and really what's happening is, like, as, as it's starting to melt away, as, like, some of the pieces, like, you start to look at them a little bit more. I mean, the same kind of shit happened with everything. I mean, mm-hmm. happened with Derek and everything. It's like, all right, maybe I should have promoted a guy who, um, you know, wrote a book to, about jerking off the internet porn. Maybe I should be promoting the guy who said his chickens want to die, although it's the most believable claim he probably has. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> Like, all right, maybe I should be looking at some of the stuff. Maybe I should just be, like, more cautious. Um, but, like, Corona made these people crazy. I not made them crazy. <clears throat> it emphasized their craziness. Like, a lot of these people are straight up like, coronavirus does not exist. I see them talking about fucking COVID Coronavirus babies. has been very polarizing, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's made it so Sally Fallon and the Western Price Foundation are like, well, germs aren't real. It's like, right. Cool. Yeah, that's that's bullshit, right? right. <laughs> like, like all right, there's a bunch of things. I mean, it's like, okay, we've recommended Weston Price books. Like, at this point, Weston Price books about the impacts of, uh, you know, civilization and processed foods and stuff like that um, on the formation of the body versus, force, versus, like, subsistence strategies. Like, that's one thing. I mean, like, that book, that book has a lot of useful things to give. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was mean, meant to be used as a prescription, the way that it has been, but then mm-hmm. like, yeah, now the Western Price Foundation is like, germs aren't real. It's like, all right, well, you guys are crazy. Everything's gone a bit too extreme, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I, that's part of the problem too, and I said this before, it's part of the problem with having um, the president just be a pure narcissist and, and somebody who is just like, and I mean, I'm not saying that as an insult, I'm saying that like clinically, like a narcissist relates to the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. And they create like, they need constant chaos, constant feedback to like to have value and have an understanding and an existence. Um, so you know, Trump had no internal logic mm-hmm. aside from me. 
like just about me. Mm-hmm. So Trump could go both ways on any subject, and there's that tendency of people to be like knee jerking against you know if I'm against Trump against everything he says. Mm-hmm. It's like well the problem is he's gonna say everything, so it's just gonna push things in weird directions, and this knee jerky kind of reactionary. Um, stuff that was happening meant that people just kept going to be like, well, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm not going to do anything about it, like he says. It's like, well, then it kind of pushed things in these weird ways. <laughs> it's like, this is kind of like how if you're riding that wave, it, it looked. And I mean, it's hard to just be like, well, it's just because of him or whatever. But like, I don't know, all this whole crew of people, because Buner is one of these people too who's talking about the shit. Laura's talking about this stuff. Like all these people are saying like, well, Corona's really about locking you down and all this stuff. It's like, look, you can have two bad things. Right. I mean, this is like, but we're seeing this in all this shit. I There's mean, like, can both be true, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, like, right now we're seeing, like, a massive, since last year we saw a massive upsurge in socialists and tankies and people just mm-hmm. like, well, the enemy's enemy is my friend or whatever. So they're just like, China can do no wrong, including genocide, which it didn't do. And, like, I'm against cops, but I'm for the gulags. Mm-hmm. Like, these kind of crazy positions that people can get into. But it's just that simple defensive reactionary kind of thing. Like, well, whatever you're against is probably good. It's like, well, no. Yeah. You can have a lot of problems. You can have problems with everybody. And, you know, the worst person in the world can be right from time to time. It's just, it's just hard like, because I think because our um, civilization forces us to be so competitive all the time, and especially those of us who are raised in that paradigm, it's like even our attempts to sort of forge ahead with this idea of rewilding or reconnection we tend to make those things competitive so it's like well i eat this way and i wear these shoes and it's like my shoes and the way i eat is better than your shoes and the way you eat but like all of that is nonsense yeah and all of that doesn't have anything to do with um you know it's the, not going to end civilization. No, it's not going to end civilization. And it's not going to. It's not going to deepen your connection to the natural world. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to deepen your understanding of the indigenous cultures that used to live here and or still live here. And it's not going to do like any of the actual meaningful things that make changes in your life, really, truly. Yeah, and I mean, it it does also edge all these problems. And this is something we talk about with Clee in the interview that it's in the other episode we're just posting. Um, you know, there was a tendency within the anti-civilization movement, within people rewilding, to try and, like, create a relationship with the lands outside of colonialism, outside of the realities of civilization, outside of the realities of, of indigenous resistance, indigenous existence, and practices. It's like, yeah, you're not listening to the land. Like, we, we still have, like, the core of all these things is that entitlement. That whiteness is at the core of all this stuff. If we're not listening, if we're just being defensive, we're going to miss the whole point. Like, the land has a relationship with people. The land has a relationship with the trees, with the plants, with the animals. All these things are interconnected. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a thing. The land knows what belongs here. You can't have... And, and, I mean, this is something that's, like... It took off more in the rewilding world after, like, where I think you and I came out of it. I mean, like, the core of what was happening at the same time. A lot of us are getting into, into rewilding and stuff like that. It's like more understanding about, um, you know, the colonization and the impacts of on indigenous societies in, in the places that we're in. Mm-hmm. Like learning indigenous place names and things mm-hmm. like that. And I mean, there was a lot of work that was, wasn't was done. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of resources that we, we didn't know about. It's not that they weren't there. We didn't necessarily know about it. These aren't excuses. It's just like the nature of it. 
Right. Like that aspect was there. But then rewilding kind of went into its own thing. And I mean, a part of this is it split off the way it did because of the green scare. Because people kind of like got scared and then like it's safer mm-hmm. than resistance. Mm-hmm. So it could split. Um, and then it went really bad directions. But like it did go that way of people being like, well, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to have this whole thing. And I'm not even going to deal with the indigenous aspect of it. It's like, yeah, that's, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And that's what Peter is doing. That's what all these people are doing. And I mean, like, you could see all these different ways where it's like, we started this thing, we started out with this thing, and it grew. And like, the way that it grew, we're like, okay, well, I got something from this, I got something from this, I got something from this. And we've been removed from it. And it's like, all right, we're looking at it. this point. It's like, yeah, like, all that shit was fucked. I guess something we're missing here, too, is that the reason that this happens or that this has happened to, say, rewilding or, you know, any of these movements that are trying to, like, where people are trying to, like, reconnect and get back to the truth of things is that everything ends up having to be a commodity because everybody needs to make money all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's an issue there, right? Because at its best or at its original form, um, plant medicine would be families and communities working with the plants in their area, giving them to each other, using them as needed, not taking a monetary exchange for those remedies. You know, it would just be part of life. Mm -hmm. But now it's like part of what happens is you learn this information. You're like, oh, I love this thing. I love doing this thing. And the next step in our culture then and a culture that commodifies everything is to commodify it so then you go well maybe i can make a couple bucks doing this instead of having to go work in whatever it is yeah. <laughs> work on some something worse right so and then maybe i can make some money and i can teach people this while i'm doing it and i'm like kind of doing good work and i'm working with the natural world or whatever but it always gets fucked up yeah <laughs> like commodification is a core part of the problem and i mean a reason that that slippery slope even starts is Somebody worse is hanging out on the periphery watching what we're doing, and they're going to do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, the worst person came through, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to start selling all this stuff. And, like, I mean, that's one of the things that, like, got annoying to me. Like, I've been really into mushrooms for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, well, not hallucinogenic, but, like, edible mushrooms. Just good old-fashioned mushrooms. Just good old-fashioned eating mushrooms. <laughs> like, I love it. I mean, it's like a thing you can hunt, and you engage all your senses. They're very particular to landscapes and really particular to climate. Um, like it's fascinating it's awesome it's like a thing you can do full sensory and like they taste amazing but um, you know like mushrooms got really fucking big and but all of a sudden everybody's sitting there talking about like propagating mushrooms in ways that they can sell them and making all these different tinctures they can sell yeah everybody went to this like crazy extreme of it where it's just like well you can sell that yeah and I'm I'm not I'm like not judging anybody either because I do the same thing I have learned these things and I have tried and I still try to find ways to like incorporate that into the way that I make money and see if there I play with it and I see if there are ways that I can work with other people and make it you know not awful to make money off of these things or keep it from getting um keep it from getting uh like from it falling apart and just becoming like more commodification but it's really hard yes Natasha but how has that gone how has that panned out it hasn't gone well and I'm exhausted you you basically can never like get ideas and you never bring yourself to do it you can teach classes and that's the most of what you do but teaching classes is in that in that regard but teaching classes is even hard because then it's like well I've learned this information 
and I'm gonna spit it out at you, and I'm gonna charge you money for it. Like, there's so many things that are unpleasant here, and we're all struggling through them. (sighs) Yes, but come back to it. I mean, that's the thing. Again, nothing should be off limits from being examined. Like, I feel that to be true. And particularly if I mean, like, I feel like that's really been the point. Like, however many podcasts has been the past four or five episodes it's been a thing about like all right well we gotta take a look at this thing i think we just have to keep talking about it and i actually just really want other people's insight because like now i really do i really do see too right like we're at this point in our own personal lives where we've like learned a lot of information and we have played with these different ways of trying to make a living and every single way is exhausting and like currently i'm helping people plant gardens and learn how to you know take care of plants and feed themselves and i plant trees and and that is beautiful work and i really do love it but um then like i said to you yesterday i was like you know i would never do half the things i'm doing for other people like if i was making a garden in my own backyard i think i literally said to you i would just stick something in the soil, which is what I did last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I would sort of walk around it sometimes and eventually maybe I would like eat something out of it. But it's just a totally different experience than what I create for somebody if they're paying me for something. And so that is really interesting to me. I feel like that is really something to examine, right? Because if our behavior is completely different when we're exchanging services or products or whatever for money, then it would be if we're just doing it for our own selves and our own house and our own families. Um, that is something. Yeah. We could say work is a problem. Work is a problem. <laughs> but what do we do about it? It's fine to say work is a problem, but you still have to feed yourself. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's like we keep coming back to it. It's like... Oops. That's right um, you know, there's just variations and, and degrees of it. And I mean... They get people asking that question too, like, um, should I be doing this thing or that thing? And it's like, well, I, I think really what it means is that we have to like make sure to be cognizant of the fact that like if we're talking about taking on systems, it's going to be innately different than talking about reforming or trying to repair or trying to make things work within a civilization. Um, and I mean, that's a bigger, harder thing. And it, again, it kind of like pulls it back from like, well, the discussion we can't have like on this level is about a lot more of like looking at the systems and understanding how we can undermine the systems and like deprogram ourselves to not feel like everything we need to do needs to be accountable to some higher principle or some higher idealized version Mm -hmm. or some like weird standard or some production standard you always say this yeah Yeah. like we don't need to be so production oriented it's like right as as a world, we don't need to be production oriented. Actually, we like shouldn't be production oriented, but it's really hard to get that out of our heads. Yeah, there's I mean a lot of shit. I mean, we talk all the time about like, oh damn, like I'm, like doing it again. Like, mm-hmm. and we always kind of joke when we're talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Natasha and I <laughs> says something to each other about like being production oriented, um, Natasha likes to say. Are you talking to God right now? <laughs> like, who's who are you apologizing to? It doesn't matter. None of, nobody's listening. Just let it go. And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's an important thing. But <laughs> I guess to sum up and come back on this conversation because it's a bigger thing, and like honestly, a conversation that's got to be better in 
person when that can happen again than mm-hmm. necessarily like what conversation we're gonna have with the podcast. But I mean, like, there becomes the issue of saying like the important thing is is that the resistant aspects need to stay up front with everything that we're doing. Like the more the more that we have our goals and our understanding about how to take on the system and how to grow as individuals towards that resistance, uh, the less divided it is, that's good. We need to keep the resistance going, but at the same time, you need to listen. Like, we need to, like, learn where to take that step back. Like, if you want to talk about, um, like, unsettling and things like that, I mean, part of it is, like, it's not about saying, I'm going to use myself as a platform or I'm going to give somebody a seat at my table or something like that. It's like... Uh, it's not our table. Table's on fire. Yeah. I mean, this is something we're talking about, like, about... It was never our table to begin with. There was no table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but this is also what we were saying about primal anarchy. It's like, destroy the Western tradition. Like, you don't have to read uh, Bakunin up through whoever to be able to understand the problems of civilization. People who have existed without civilization have fought civilization and colonialism from the start. They're doing much more. They understood on a much different level. And, like, that's been going on. That's still going on. All these things are, like, there's nothing about, like, you have to kill, like, the aspect of your head of a, that is, like, this whiteness. That is, like, this... I think deprogramming is a good word. That is a good word that you just used. Or a good term. I didn't realize I used it. You did. You <laughs> but, did use it. And because it is, it's, it's a cult that yeah. we've been part of. That we've all been forced to be part of. Yeah, and I mean, like, you have to understand, like, I mean, that's why I say talk about, um, you know, we're, we're, like, really reading history and all this stuff and, like, understanding it, but, I mean, there's, you know, I've talked about Michelle Roth, Trudeau's um, Silencing the Past, um, that book is amazing, and so we're talking about, like, uh, the the creation of history as a series of events and moments as something of the past is, like, an innate part of how colonialism works and how colonialism and civilization function. Um, like, those kind of understandings of the kind of conversation is really important, like, you know, people want to talk about, like, colonialism, like, it's past tense. It's like, all right, it's not. It's ongoing. It's constant. Imperialism and colonialism are, are constants in the civilization. Um, but, like, that stuff's also, like, even the way you're thinking about it as being in the past or historic, like, fucking Prince Philip just died. Mm-hmm. Like, the amount of empires that have been going on in this guy's existence, like, the, the nature of the world constantly changing. I mean, even the fact He's that... He's a like, literal colonizer. yeah. We're talking about kings and queens. Right. Like, we're like, we're not past this Like, shit. they exist right now this minute. Yeah. And it's like, not just like a colonial system, like the embodiment of it. Mm-hmm. The, the prince of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ew. That's gross. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, all you, you, we have to see these patterns. We have to see these things and we have to understand them and also break that aspect of thinking that these are something that's happening somewhere else or to other people or, or whatever. Or in the past. Yeah, or in the past. I mean, like, you know, going back and forth, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, um, you know, trying to understand, like, working with John's stuff about time um, and, like, issues of linear time, it's like, this is, a, this is a huge thing. This is a huge problem. And the tendency that we've had is to be like, oh, we're talking about we should just be in the present and, you know, the past and the future or this and that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, actually, the present was the, the point of creation by colonizers. Like, the idea that you can isolate yourself from the past and the future it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... The only reason you would do that is because you're going to do horrible things. Like, the person who disrespects your boundaries is the person who plans on crossing them. The person who's going to isolate this moment is the person who's going to make the other ones horrible. Mm-hmm. Or, or did. It's like, you know, somebody punches you in the face and you're like, well, why are you still talking to me about it? It already happened. It's mm-hmm. like, well, technically everything already happened. <laughs> so, like, 
but there's a continuity and it disrupts that continuity and you have to have disruptions of that continuity to obtain uh, to upkeep the the entitlement mm -hmm. um it's like there's just a lot of work to be done about deprogramming so how exist. do you deprogram there's a lot of conversations a big part of what we're saying here is like you have to i mean you have to listen you have to understand other people's experiences you have to hear them on their level you have to meet people where they are you have to be honest about where you are but also like it's kind of a, a whole other thing this is the thing that i see about the promise of these uprisings and riots and everything is like when you understand it when you don't have stake in the game of civilization when you stop thinking people are going to come and make it better or improve the situation then you stop having to ask a lot of these questions I think the problem with cults, though, and when somebody tries to leave a cult, why that's so difficult is because your, like, every f fiber of your identity ends up being wrapped up with that, with the cult beliefs. Yeah. So then when you try to leave, you literally, it's like dying, right? Mm -hmm. Plus you've, like, you're stepping away from everybody that you have known and interacted with and, um... And I think, I'm just thinking about the things I've read about cults is then when you leave them, then you, there's like very severe depression can follow because you've like kind of now you've lost part of your identity or maybe your whole identity in a way. So, I mean, that's some serious, that's some serious business to yeah. work through. I mean, that's part of the whole thing about civilization. That's why I've always kind of said it's like when I approach people talking about civilization, you know, I'm like, how many things can I relate to people? It's like, one is be real and be honest. Um, you know, not lie, not just spread dogma. But, like, try and connect things in people's lives. Like, I know the innate reaction when you tell somebody that civilization is inherently uh, a, a death machine, a death wish, and it's going to destroy itself and try and take every single thing and person with it. Um, that's hard to hear. I mean, like, I went through the same thing as I first started finding about it. I mean, like, everybody I know that just was like, okay, agriculture is a native problem. It's like, what do I do with that? When I started to learn about civilization, I think I cried it for three months straight. <laughs> no lie. I just cried and cried and cried. I couldn't believe it. But you got through. I did. I did get through. I mean, somehow you come out the other side. Yeah. And you're, you're like, whoa. It's not worth dying for. Then or now or ever. That's for sure. It's worth pushing on. Um, but like... You know, I mean, I, I think about it's like when you're told something, and, and I'm sure most people have the relationship or have the situations like, okay, you you know your friends being cheated on or whatever, like, you know, all these kind of things. Like, you know, you tell that person that they're going to, it's scary because they're going to turn on you. Most people just don't. Um, and um, nobody wants to hear hard truths about the things that are right in front of them, especially if they're dependent upon them. And especially if their entire identity has been based it's dependent like, upon it. It's not only dependent upon it, but it's like we're in an abused relationship with power. So it's like the whole time, every single thing we're hearing about is like, well, your identity and who you are is based on the progress that has been made on behalf of whatever. Mm -hmm. Like this empire, the civilization, blah, blah, human achievement. Your your identity is based on the, the pride you should feel on the fact that we've made an iPhone. It's like, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> it's like... But that's the kind of way it works. And that's being constantly said. Like these things are always being said to us. So like when you're telling somebody it's like, all right, well, we're looking at a perspective and you're stuck in an abusive relationship and all the narratives you're saying are used to um, capture and, and try to tame you. 
you're going to usually be met with somebody being like, fuck you, you're an idiot. You're talking about, this is me, don't tell me who I am. Blah, blah, all this stuff. So it's like, the way I typically approach it is like, um, I'm going to just make these points and try and anchor these things as much as I can. Take the time that you get with a person to try and anchor these points and then know that they're going to reject it. Mm-hmm. Most likely they're going to reject it. I very rarely had a conversation with somebody about civilization or argument. I got serial arguments. <laughs> like, I spent decades of my life arguing with people. But do you like, find that you can get people to change their minds or they really, you really can't change anybody's minds? I mean, it shouldn't be your place to try to change somebody's mind. It's your try and place to try and get them to understand things. Like, it was like, meet people where they're at. And, like, try and get them to understand that the perspective they've got because to me it's not about winning and losing like um to try and like chip away at those things because everybody's got like walls of defensiveness mm-hmm. and it's like and i go through and it's like okay somebody will come at you and be like all right well if you're against civilization why do you use technology like they're looking for flaws in you and your app their your their understanding of application and trying to go at it and i mean that's like i say it all the time it's always worth saying Never answer a question you're not comfortable with. And the people all the time try to put words in my mouth and try and be like, well, you're saying that this should happen, this should happen. It's like, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to respond to that. And I'm also not going to take that. I mean, like, horrifically white and male entitlement, particularly, like, kind of thing of being like, well, answer my question. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, fuck you. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to answer a question I'm not uncomfortable asking. And to say, like, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking at this all wrong. Like, people will put this crazy expectation to say it's like, all right, well, if civilization is collapsing and if it's so bad, then what should I do about it? And it's like, all right, let's work back from this. Like, one, I mean, I get, like, you feel a lot more comfortable if you feel like you can dismiss me because you think I'm ideologically impure. I don't think that way. Mm-hmm. I don't care about that. I'm not interested in ideology. I'm not interested in purity. I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I'm talking about systems. Like... I'm not sitting here and saying, like, these are the reasons I'm against civilization because I think it's bad. It's like, these are the ways that, I mean, the way I present things, like, the civilization is inherently built on colonialism and just decimation. Mm-hmm. I can make that argument. That's, that's what I do. And, like, kind of revert it back to the same. It's like, okay, it can't sustain itself. And then people get this whole thing. I mean, this is part of the pattern of historization. That's why I talk about it. People get this idea. It's like, okay, well, it's here now, so that means it's going to be here or it was here. It's like, Right. The, the United States Empire is like 250, 270 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the standard empire is like 250 years. It's like about there. Um, I'm still congested and sick. I don't feel like doing math. Sorry. Um, but like, you know, it hasn't been around that long. And it's had a, a ridiculous past, even up till recent times. Most of what people identify as America, it hasn't been this way for very long. I just think it's very shocking to people when they first hear the idea that civilization is like something that hasn't always existed. Like that there's a there's a complete um like lack of understanding about that in just sort of like regular society. Yeah. And I mean you come to understand that like the whole like the the, the weird thing about all this stuff is like this whole thing about um, you know, Flintstones and like cavemen are portrayed in cartoons and stuff, especially when we were kids. I was like, man, that's a really insidious myth. Like, there was a lot of like ridiculous myth making that was happening. Um, 
And it was very effective. It's like people are just like automatically take these assumptions. That's why Steven Pinker works. He's affirming things that have already been put in there. I mean, like a lot of the stuff people have as far as these kind of arguments go, it's just like piggybacking. And it's just like, you know, I see all the time, like deep ecologists love this crazy shit that's ridiculous about Pleistocene overkill. Now Pleistocene overkill, like the only reason it works, like piggybacking, piggybacking, piggybacking. It's like, okay, the bearing land straight theory, like all this stuff, these like dated ideas that actually came up because of the ecology movement, because of people in the 60s, like trying to reintegrate this like, um, you know, um, you know, man being evil or whatever, however they were putting it, humans being evil, man as they would say. Um, like they needed these kind of constructs to be like, we have to talk about human behavior because this is a natural human pattern. Right, that we've so, always been this way. We don't yeah. need to change, this is just the way we are. Yeah, so like we have, or we have to change in light of the fact that this is who we are. And they're just like, all oh, this is racist. I mean, it's all just ridiculous, horrible stuff and it's based off of like piggybacking. It's been dismissed, indigenous people have been saying all the time and the whole time, that stuff's nonsense and it's racist and it's ridiculous and you're using it also because you're trying to uh, bolster up the doctrine of discovery. But, you know, you see this, like, especially now, and especially looking at the way that, um, like, in Canada, it's a bigger thing because the land hasn't been ceded. Um, so you see a lot more of that discussion. But in response to land back, it's response to um, indigenous encampments to stop pipelines. Um, you see these things coming about a lot more. People are like, well, you've only been here for this long anyway, so you have no, like, right to it. It's like, okay. Like, the insidiousness of it is coming full circle. But the only reason we have those kinds of arguments was because somebody else was piggybacking on something and somebody wanted to prove a point. And ultimately, the point they were trying to prove was too close to home for us. But one of the real problems that I think we're having with all of this is that because our civilization creates a situation where everybody's so competitive all the time, and, like, you have to be so... Like, to make an argument, you have to, like, be so invested in that argument that you, like, become that argument, and then you can never change your mind, right? Like, people this is sort of like the whole thing is like you say Buner for example he's like well this is what I believe and I'm never changing my mind like that that maybe above all else that just needs to be thrown out the window yeah you can always change your mind you can always learn new information and say oops I was wrong about that old information like we don't have to be one way we don't have to be stuck to one idea you don't have to commit yourself forever to one idea because you thought it one once upon a time mm -hmm. just let it go you singlet's got to get rid of his ego. <laughs> I'll have a bunch of critics in your head at all times. <laughs> They'll push you in a lot of different ways. But no, I mean, obviously it can happen anyway. But like, you know, I mean, again, it is what this whole thing comes down to. It's like, you got to listen. Like, you can still fight for shit. You can still be up there on the front lines taking on cops, taking on whoever all the time. Like, that stuff's not being negated. It's just like, understand your context understand these different aspects of it if you really want to understand the system and you should like you have to understand that your experience of it and this applies to really everybody your experience is always going to be different and like um yeah i mean like that's been like a public joke for a long time that like the experience of whiteness is a different experience in the world i mean like eddie murphy on saturday night live like that was a joke 40 years ago like it's obviously it's been everywhere. Like everybody's talked about it. It's not like it started there. It's like just been a constant thing. Mm -hmm. But it really comes down to the fact that like that white entitlement. 
like and those feelings of entitlement and like the 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 colonizers might you know I mean like the the these things should be expanding, mm-hmm. not retracting. Like you should be understanding more and taking more into account and just looking at what's happened to the world in the last year. Like they're not covering it up. Like everybody said all this bullshit about, oh, you know, at least in Biden's America, there won't be kids in cages and people getting gassed, like tear gassed, um, in all the time. It's like. Just a totally random thing to say. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> who are you talking to? God doesn't exist. You're just well, talking to the wind. Like, it's like ridiculous. But people believed it. And at this point, like, you shouldn't have to sit here and be making the argument. It's like, all right, we're not talking about midterms again. Like, if you don't know at this point, if you're not putting in the work, then like, there's a problem. And if your reaction to all this stuff is to be like, I'm tired of the woke mob, then fuck you, you've been the problem. You've been the problem for a long time, and you're not going to stop being the problem. We are past the point of being able to say or needing to say, like, I'm going to convince these people that there's something wrong. I have to understand at this point, these people are structural to the nature of white supremacy. I mean, it's always been that way, and it's like, this has been, you know, radicals been pointing this out forever. I mean, Malcolm X went on about this all the mm-hmm. time. Like, the role of the liberal was, was this. And... This isn't new information. It shouldn't be new information, but like, it's getting harder and harder not to see it all the time. And if people aren't seeing it, then like, they're gonna, there's gonna be a different way in articulating it to make it more apparent. But also, like, there has to be harder lines around the idea that like, well, we're not placating. I guess the other thing that's like kind of interesting to me, and I think we're seeing it more and more, is that the colonizer culture that has like spread so far and that is we're all sort of in the grips of it does require constant indoctrination like literal constant as in like say the pledge every day constant indoctrination and so there the the cracks are there Mm -hmm. because that that machine that propaganda machine has to go all the time it has to constantly be you know keeping us in this cycle so i mean that's kind of a weak machine actually that's another thing. I mean, it's like flipping the narrative because like, it is that way. If you have to constantly be reinforcing this idea, it, 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 it's kind of a weak idea. <laughs> it's a very weak. I mean, it's like people are like, civilization is strong. It's like, is it? They're it's like, not. I mean, it's not. I mean, like, there's terrifying people and they got a lot of power. There's a lot of military out there. Oh, that boat got stuck. <laughs> yes the ultimate bottle like 10% of the <laughs> I was like picturing like a robot like what are you talking about oh yeah evergreen in the Suez Canal speaking of things being weak it's not it's not as strong as they would have us believe never has been mm-hmm. never will be and it's it's the Looney Tune running on air right they just don't look down right. so we have to look down for them and that's your job to get everybody to like look around like okay this is where it is yeah so I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up it's getting kind of long it's an exciting conversation I hope other people are listening and people who have been seeing this are still furious and the people who don't know about it sucks it's it's scary it's worth looking at because there's probably more people that are taking that side than you want to know and you know, it's time to cut some ties. Yeah. I just want to say again, thank you to everybody who's been helping us and supporting us this year. And um, 
we ha- Kevin and I have really been we've our whole, entire lives have under undergone a million different changes and we are um, very happy to be together and um, are just really really thankful for all the support and um, thank you for listening to us yes thank you and also all the things we've been talking about a lot of projects have been on hold in a way um, they're also coming like we still have a lot in the works we still have a lot that's going to be going out we're doing our best to do podcasts but it is admittedly like with our lives and schedules we're not committing to any schedule we're just or doing like our best we're doing our best <laughs> gosh dang it and we know everybody is just doing their best too but speaking of doing our best we um since the last podcast we did post up the audiobook of liminal which yeah. was read by our good friend ryan morgan ryan morgan did the most amazing job reading that story Yes, it is on blackmeanpress.org. It's in the store. Thank you, Ryan Morgan. Yes, that, I mean, the reading of it is amazing. Ryan Morgan of Misery Signals. Right, and Misery Signals has put out a fucking killer album. Mm-hmm. And that's been awesome. Um, yeah, definitely check that out. And all the books are up there and everything like that. There will be more coming, and we'll have some more announcements. Uh, and we will be trying to figure out classes soon. We're just trying to get things pieced together in a way. I'm not committing to any timelines on anything. If you don't hear from us for a while, honestly, it probably means we're having a hard time. We're always happy to hear from everybody. And um, again, if anybody has questions about the things that Kevin is working through right now, as far as his mental health um, stuff goes, please reach out. Um, And we just love to hear from from people anyway. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on things. Oh, and if you write and you don't hear back, check again. I got like 10,000 unread emails right now. But emails are like the most backlogged. So sorry, but I'm trying. Um, and yeah, so um, in the meantime, do check out like Indigenous Action. We are on the Channel Zero podcast network, uh, and there's always a lot of stuff going on there, and people who are doing a really good job of being production-oriented and getting a lot of podcasts <laughs> out there, doing, marching right along in ways that we're not, and getting a lot of other good information out. Um, and yeah, blackmarinepress.org. Um, KevinTucker.org is my website. NatashaTucker.org is her website. Uh, PrimalAnarchy.org has the podcast and all the past episodes. You can also get them on all major streaming platforms. And, um, yeah, and we're both on Instagram, Black Green Press on there. And then uh, uh, I post a bunch of stuff on Twitter, too, at Gathered Remains. So... That's I, a lot of stuff. Sometimes I think about posting on Twitter, but I'm too scared of it, so I don't. Understandable. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, and until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.